your Father loves you. There is a deep love that sometimes we forget about. Sometimes we as the church have misrepresented. We didn't tell the whole truth or we didn't tell it the right way. Your God loves you. And he will welcome you home. And that's the kind of place, that welcome is the kind of place that we want to be accused of. That you can find that welcome at Into One Community Church. As we tell you about Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to some of you who have been traveling, who have been uh, seeing the rest of the world as if there was more to see than Stouffville. Uh, welcome back. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here for week two in our series called Fellowship of the King, where we're all about making and being disciples of Christ. Today we're going to think about the gospel. We're going to focus on the gospel. The video that you just saw is a retelling of the story of the gospel. And it's the very center of everything else we believe. So when we get distracted and we get caught up on other things, we say again, you, you need to remember this part is the, the most important part. This is what we're focusing on. This is the center of everything else that we believe. And without this, there is nothing else worth believing. So as a disciple of Jesus, as a, as a follower of Christ, as a learner of Jesus, of, as someone who is on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ, we want to become more and more like Him and to live like Him. And our starting point, the, uh, the key foundational principle, that essential part of our base camp is to trust. To trust that He is the one that we are following. To um, trust that we enter into all of that with him. And we hear the, the good news or the message of who Jesus is, of what he has done for us. And then we respond with simple trust. Right there. That's the starting point for today. So last week we, we, we went quickly over these essential elements of discipleship. And, and, and it looks like a process, and we're kind of describing it as, as a process, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be linear or even sequential, even though that's the way we're going to portray it. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who's in charge, and He moves as He will. And we are, we are glad for that. But for many of us, the way this process starts is through trust. We come to the cross of Christ and what he has accomplished as being our last sacrifice. Then our responsibility is to partner with the Holy Spirit and to discern what he is doing and, and in us and, and around us. And as we do that, it causes us to grow. We trust and then we grow and we mature in Christ. And then as we grow and we mature with the help of the Spirit in a relationship with other people, we not only <coughs> receive, we learn to give. We trust, we grow, then we give. We want to be full contributors in this, this family. Trust, grow, give, then go. We move beyond it being just about 
me. It's not just about my place of learning, just focusing on myself. And we, we offer hope. We offer love to the rest of the world. We give them the rest of the good news, the gospel, to help them learn also how to trust. This is not a one and done kind of thing. I hit that mark, check, and I move on. We continue to go through these um, these markers, and we go through them again and again as we deepen, as the process of maturity works in us. And we learn to trust in more and in different ways. We grow, and because of our new level of trust, we grow in ways that enable us to discover new ways to give as well. And it's something that we just keep getting better at. Then last week, we made that special discovery that this is the key to all the things that we were doing is that we we're going to do them together. It's never just about an individual. It's about a community. So when Jesus talked about the gospel, he talked about it in terms of the kingdom. Read the gospels. You'll see Jesus talking about the kingdom repeatedly. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe this good news. And the kingdom is a beautiful concept because it starts by declaring, we have a king. Jesus is the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. He is my king. He's the one that I listen to. The kingdom calls us into togetherness with God, but also into a togetherness with one another. If this is a message about a kingdom, it's letting me know that there's a king. And as I submit my life to that king, I find out that I can become a fellow citizen with other members of this kingdom. So it's a thoroughly relational dynamic. In every part that we relate to God and to each other, relational. It's not mechanical. It's not simply ritualistic. You get to not only be in a beautiful relationship with the king of the universe, wherein he will, he will mentor you and he will lead you and guide you into new ways to live. But I also get to do all of that as part of a new community, as part of that kingdom. I get to be an integral part of the fellowship of the king. Then we would, we would read farther and we'd see with the Apostle Paul and he writes letter after letter after letter and they keep coming up with this word that, that he emphasizes and then he, that he highlights and it keeps coming back up, the big idea of grace. Remember, this is a free gift. To get into this kingdom doesn't require a particular level of performance. You don't have to read a certain level, certain level of good enough it's not based on your performance. This is a gift, a free gift from God. And everything that you need, everything that you have tried to accomplish on your own, everything that religion has promised but failed to provide is offered freely as a gift from Jesus. God gives you salvation as a gift. Your entrance is free. It's already paid. Now you enter into a way of living, a way of being. So so there's a way of living or that, that way of being, a way of loving that's part of what it means to be in the midst of the good news. That's part of what it means to be in the kingdom. But the entrance to that kingdom is a free gift of grace. Now the appropriate response to a gift like that is to repent. And repent just means to change your way of thinking. Maybe I'll take a moment and I'll walk around this thing to look at it from a different angle. 
I will think new thoughts about this. I will open my mind to what Jesus has to say and let it relax me a little. Let it calm me down and allow it to make my mind more moldable and less hard and less brittle. I will believe, I will trust that it's true. Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about it briefly last week. Um, It's a powerful message describing what the gospel is and the impact that it has. And there's some questions that I've already posted online for you that you can follow along with there that will help you work through that passage. Because it's really good for you to think about these things and not just to have somebody think about them for you. So I would strongly encourage you this week, read Ephesians chapter 2 and then go and read those questions and ponder, what does it mean? How does this make a difference in my everyday living? Because that's the point. It's not just a concept. It's a guide to a way of living and being. So it's too big of a passage for us just to focus on today. So I'm going to say, look at it. Go into it this week. We'll refer back to it again. Instead, we're going to go to a different letter. We're going to go to another place where Paul was writing to another one of his protégés, another one of his apprentices, another one of the young pastors, trying to teach them how to be... um, part of this kingdom and guiding a person into leading that. We're going to look at Titus a little later. Last week, we talked about a super special word, a word that describes fierce passion. And it shows up repeatedly in the book of Acts, and it showed up in the book of Romans, which is where we looked at it last week. Do you remember that word? Homothumadon, right? You're going, oh, such wonderful memories. I just love thinking about that again. Homothumadon. And just translating it as um, together or with one accord, that's how it shows up in the English translations. It just doesn't do it justice. The word homothumadon, translated with one accord or with one mind or together, uh, is a mutual passion for unity. The homo part of the word means one or single, united. And thumos Um, The thumadon comes from the word thumos. Thumos means a heavy breathing, an exertion, a passion. So we would say, I'm going to work hard at unity. The sound that we would make together as we tried to struggle to lift that important heavy thing that needed to be moved. Togetherness is not just that we happen to show up at the same time at the same place and, hey, look, I guess we're united. We're here. That's not the way it works. It's a commitment from me and a commitment from each of you to look at each other and say, I will work hard to make sure that there are no relational barriers there. I don't want anything to come between us. I want to make sure that we are close. And I know that there are many things that argue against our unity They fight against that unity. And I know that there are established ways of thinking in me that bring about separation. And I know that there are established ways of thinking that are within you that bring about separation. And our commitment needs to be that we will work hard to be transformed in my living and renewed in my thinking that I might be set free from these things that separate. 
The separate part is what keeps going back to Ephesians chapter 2. And that's why I want you to read it, to linger in that place. It's all about the separations. We will be fiercely passionate about our unity. Not looking to find offense, but looking to overlook offense. We are a community that wants to do this, and we want to welcome other people to come in with us and be part of this tremendously unnatural gathering where we look to not be offended, where we look to not separate, where we look for ways and reasons to come together. So you think about the symbols that Jesus gave to the brand new church, and they fully go along with this idea. You probably don't think about this, but think about them now. The first one, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. It's entirely possible that Jesus could have said, go do it by yourself. Just go sit somewhere by yourself, get some bread, get some wine. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Boom, that's it, you're done. Or baptism. He could have said, okay, now that you're ready to commit to me, to say that I'm your king, go find some water, go dunk yourself in it, and as you do it, just say something like, I accept your lordship over me, Jesus. Please cleanse me now. Cause me to rise again to new life. All these things could have been done by ourselves. They would be much more efficient to do by ourselves. They'd be much more convenient. They'd be much less expensive. Why can't we just do them by ourselves? There's no magic in those things. But that's never the way that they were thought of in that New Testament church. Communion is a shared supper. Much like we will be having tonight at Into Sunday Night. If you haven't signed up, for that, it's not too late. I can get you in. I know people, all right? I can set this thing up because this church part is important. But for you to grasp what church is like is to do it more face-to-face. Not just your face to my face, but your faces to each other. These are the people who can transform your life by the power of the Spirit of God working in them waiting to meet the needs that you don't even know that you have. I can't do those things for you. And so that's why I want to encourage you again. It's not hard. Tonight is basically an eating night. You all eat. You know, you're, you're good at it. So let's do it together and offer that up as a spiritual sacrifice, an offering to God, and a prayer, a plea that says, God, meet me where I need to be met. I need to know some people. Help me to meet them and connect. Baptism, it would have made perfect sense to privately dunk ourselves in water. Baptism is always seen as someone representing the kingdom, what they do for a person who's coming into the kingdom. And both of these are ways of of welcoming people into a, a relational dynamic that's more than just you and God. It's about you and God and God's people. So one person baptizes the other person. And baptism is kind of like a wedding ceremony, okay? You start dating and you do that for a while and you decide it's time to choose to make it official. We're going to make it public. It's a declaration. I want people to know. And you decide that it's time to stop just dating and to make it public and official. You invite your friends and your family to come and to witness this event, to celebrate this event. 
the wedding doesn't make the love relationship, but it does give you a moment where you can use it as a stamp it, no erases, we're going public. We're going to go and tell people about the beauty of this love relationship. God gives us baptism as a way of doing that in our relationship to him. It can also be a defining moment where we decide that we will discontinue identifying ourselves by what we are not and that we will begin to identify ourselves by what you are. Well, I know that I'm not like those rebellious 'er ne'er-do-wells, but I also know that I'm not like those whacked-out religious legalist mercenaries. I don't want to just keep reminding myself of what I'm not. I want to be a person who is full of Jesus and who stands for Jesus. So that reminds me of a story, okay, that Jesus told. So two guys go to the temple to pray. Stop me if you know this one. Two guys go in. It's Luke chapter 18. One of them was a Pharisee. One of them is a religious leader. The other was a sinner, tax collector. And the Pharisee prays this. Dear God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Beautiful prayer. Great prayer. Don't practice that one. Okay? He said that out loud. And the sinner could have said, oh yeah? All right, well, I thank you that I'm not like him. I'm not like that overly religious, judgmental, legalistic hypocrite. But he didn't. He didn't play that game. Instead, the sinner prays, God, please be merciful to me. I know that I need your help. And then Jesus says, is actually that, that, that sinner that went home justified. Justified means made right with God. And not the spiritual looking and sounding one. Could it be possible that for some of you, as we reflect on hearing the, the story of the gospel again, and you say to yourself, oh man, I have heard that story like 82,000 million times already. Maybe you've become complacent. Maybe you've become really adept at defining yourself by what you're not. Not like that. You've got really clear boundary markers on the outside, but on the inside, it's kind of hollow, a vacuum, a donut. You are well glazed, but you have a hole in the middle. And I want to invite you today whether you're a long-time Christian, I've heard about this story so many times, and maybe you've just forgotten. Maybe you're still defining yourself as, I'm not like that. I'm not like them. Or maybe you're new to faith, and you don't really know what you're doing, and you're still kind of saying, yeah, but I'm not like them. Let's talk about who we are. Who's at the center? And who and how we want to follow him. So trust is the entrance point into the kingdom. The apostle, apostle, the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And that's the word right there, believes. It's the same word as trusts, the same word to believe. So 
to everyone, salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Thank goodness, because I'm a Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by from first to last, from faith. Just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. God's righteousness given to you, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. More Greek. The word for um, trust here is pistos. Pistis, sorry. To believe or to have faith in someone, to fully rely on someone. That's your translation. Trust is how we begin a relationship with Jesus. It's so important to get that. That's how we begin. It's trust. It's not earned. It's not good enough. It's not knowing enough. It's not, I've got the whole thing figured out. It's just trust. That's the way it starts. And you know what's even better? That's the way we continue it. It doesn't move from trust to work really hard. It moves from trust to trust. And as we've started to trust, we will continue to trust. The author, Tim Keller, he, he wrote this, we should never view the gospel in our rearview mirror. It's never what has happened. It remains what is happening. We do not define our maturity in Christ by measuring the distance between us and the gospel, the beginning. Oh yeah, we did that 10 years ago, but I've moved on to important stuff now. Now I'm deeper, I've got deeper spirituality. I, I, I don't even bother to think about that. Instead, the gospel is the clear, central message that we remind ourselves of regularly, daily even. This is why we live, and it instructs how we live. And there's different ways that the New Testament speaks to the gospel. It's framed as the message of the kingdom of God. It's a, the message of grace or the message of Jesus. You'll hear different references, same message. The gospel we're going to steal this from uh, Bruxy Cavey. If you've ever heard of Bruxy Cavey, he's got a, a real gift for speaking. So this is what he says. The gospel in one word would be Jesus. I only got one word. That's what I could say. The gospel in three words would be Jesus is Lord. Transforms everything. Then, the gospel is the best news that you will ever get. God comes to us through Christ to show his love to save from sin, to share his life, to shut down religion. Right there, right there, that's the gospel in 30 words. That's the story you can come back to. So we're going to break it down. We'll come back to some of those things. And we, first of all, reminded that in Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, again, not good enough, not knowing enough, not working hard enough, right? While we were still sinners, when there was no reason for him to even like me, Christ died for us on purpose, knowing what we were like, who we are. God came to us. It was our initiative. We didn't convince him. We didn't trick him. We didn't um, force him. When you look at Jesus, what you are seeing is a display of the love of God. You'll hear people say it all the time, God is love. And for people who don't know that, they go, well, it sounds like a really nice idea, but is it true because you say that it's true that, well, God is love? You go, well, I guess I have to believe it. But what if he's not? 
You know, this is the struggle that, that many people have. Maybe some of you this morning are having the same struggle. I don't know if God is good. What if he's a jerk? I mean, look at the way things do happen around us. Maybe God is just a big jerk. How can I know? But when you look at Jesus, and I see how much he loves me, when I see how much he forgives me, when I see how much he forgives even those who persecute him, this is a movie story. We hear this story frequently now. He rises from the dead to bring about not vengeance. That's the story that we know. I hate you so much that I'll rise from the dead to come back and set things right. No, Jesus rose from the dead not for vengeance, but he rose from the dead. It was so incredibly important for him to come back. It filled him with his power and life to make sure he came back to forgive, to bring reconciliation. I can't stay dead. I've got to get back and forgive those people who just killed me. I've got to get back there to make sure that they're reconciled. If I stay dead, they're lost. This is what God looks like, okay? When he gets distilled, compressed, pushed down into a human form, it looks like Jesus. And if that's true, if Jesus really is Lord, then I can believe that God is love. And those other things that I've heard about God, they must somehow fit under the starting place that God is love. It's a beautiful good news message. That's why it's called the good news message, right? It's not about condemnation. It's not about shame. It's not about guilt. It's about good news. It's a game changer. It's about how I can now relate to the creator of the universe without fear. The gospel shows me that God is love. The gospel is a message about salvation from sin. Take me back to the, the well, take me forward to the slide that shows the gospel in 30 words. Because there's highlighted words up here. Thank you. <coughs> Jesus came to share his life. No matter, no matter what I've done, no matter how I've treated God, I can be forgiven. That's the first part. Came to share his love. To share his life. He calls it uh, welcome you into the kingdom. But Jesus came to share his life in a family way. And this is about setting up his kingdom, and allowing us to benefit from being in it. It's like the, the health plan that comes with your new company. Well, you, if you're part of the kingdom, you get kingdom benefits that go along with it. His spirit comes to us individually to empower us to live a life of togetherability, to, togetherness, right? Empowered individually so that we might live together. And as the spirit is alive, as we submit to his work in our lives, each one of us is crafted and the picture becomes like living stones. So when you put all of us living stones together, he fashions us into a place called a temple, a place where God dwells and is alive. But we are the living stones. We are each pieces that are um, built together to make this place that God lives and God works in, in the middle of this kingdom so that it can benefit all of humanity. The Spirit of God might dwell. And he shares his life with us. And we are invited into his. The story is that he also came to shut down religion. Through Jesus, God gives us everything that religion has attempted but failed to accomplish. 
The Bible tells the, the journey uh, of God doing this even in his own religion, the, that Hebrew religion. But it applies to every religion, including and especially the Christian religion. When you create a system of rules, regulations, rituals, and routines that we use as a mediator between us and God to help us achieve salvation, that's what we were trying to do. If I do these things, I can be accepted by God. And what we're trying to do is build that stairway to heaven. That stairway is called religion. And we can be delivered from that desperately trying to be enough. Smart enough, good enough, holy enough. On the cross, Jesus dies for that. Not only for our sin, but also for our failed religion. And it's nailed to the cross. And we bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That weight that obligation, that sense of failure and shame. I no longer bear it. This is freedom. This is the gift, the good news. Now, it's not a message that says, now, therefore, it doesn't matter how I live. No, the message is now you get to live the Christ life out of joy and gratitude. Out of freedom, not out of obligation, not out of, out of the need to measure up or to be good enough so that if I just do this right, I'll get to go to heaven when I die. God will take care of your salvation. Now, as that message sinks in, how do you want to live? It can change your heart. It can fill you with gratitude so that you will want to live differently in this kingdom life. It's not just about when you die. It starts now, living in this kingdom right here. Religion's a fascinating thing. Paul says in Galatians that the law, um, the words of Moses, what we call the Torah, um, it was for a season. While we were still toddlers, while we were um, still um, developing as a species, <coughs> He says the law was like a nanny or like a babysitter. And, and when, you, when you're young, you need some extra rules. You need some extra routines around to help to keep you in line. But the ultimate hope for a parent is that you'll grow up and that you'll begin making wise and loving choices without having to make them. And it doesn't matter the rules, uh, rituals, routines, traditions. It doesn't make them wrong. It's the dependence on them to do the thinking for you. It's the dependence on those things to be your morality. That's what's wrong. So when we read beautiful verses like this in Romans chapter 4, now to the one who works, wages are credited as a gift. But as an no, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Works, when Paul uses that word, um, he means not just good deeds done. I want to live a righteous life. But specifically for religious deeds, I'm not going to just live a good life. I'm going to um, be good enough to get into heaven. I'm going to specifically do lots and lots of good religious stuff. Then I can earn my salvation. And he says, don't try and earn it because it is given as a gift. So however, to the one who does not work, the one who says, I'm not going to buy into that whole religious route to salvation, 
but to the one who doesn't work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. So I admit, uh, I'm not going to play the game of saying anymore that I'm godly enough, don't you think? I put this together enough. I've done enough. I've listened to enough sermons. I've uh, memorized enough things. Instead, I'm going to say, God, I'm ungodly. Without you, I am ungodly. I admit I have a long way to go. It's like that, that, that sinner praying from before. God, <coughs> just be merciful to me. I need your help. He justifies the ungodly so their faith is credited as righteousness. The faith, actually you get credit for being all the good that you thought you had to work at. You just, your faith gives you that as a gift. That's really good news. I'm pretty broken. I'm in despair about how messed up I can actually be. And yet God is able to say, trust me, and the righteousness that you need will be just put in your account. Galatians chapter 2 says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by but by in Jesus Christ. So those of you who are still trying to work really hard, let me read Galatians 2 for you again. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Simply trust. That's true. And if you have a religious background, you're going, this is still really, really hard. Don't they have to do more? There's got to be something more that you still have to live up to. You, 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 have to, you have to show yourself better than that. Philippians 3. I now, I no longer count on my own righteousness. This is Paul speaking. And he had a fair amount of righteousness to count. I now, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way, way of making us right with him, with himself, depends on faith. <coughs> He's the one figuring out how to do it. What do I need from you? I need righteousness. How are we going to get it? Why don't you just ask for it? Trust me and I'll give it to you. The way of the law has passed. And that is some good news. There are some rules in the, in the law that are helpful. And there are some rules that are in the law, they're weird. Okay? Like when we read them now, we don't know what to do with them at all. How is that ever a good idea? <coughs> but if we flip back, because I know you love to do it, you flip back through Leviticus. <clears throat> and there's a bunch of stuff in there that we just don't know what to do with. You get to Leviticus chapter 21. If you want to serve God, you can't have a skin disease. The symbolism is, it's not just the sacrifice that needs to be without blemish, but it's also those suffering. No, those offering the sacrifice. The symbolism was what was there, was the picture. Teaches us that we need a perfect sacrifice. And it's a giant metaphor that was setting up Jesus to come later on, who is the perfect final sacrifice. Did you know in Leviticus, it says you can't work for God if you're too short. You can't offer a sacrifice to God if you've got eye problems. Sorry for all you people wearing glasses today. You got glasses? There's the door. Out you go. All right. But who of you are wearing contacts? Sinners. You're not just 
inappropriate because of your bad vision. You're hiding it. You're a deceiver as well. Step outside for our free stoning right after church. <clears throat> Since you're going to read Leviticus 21, I know you're going to go back there and read it. Have to remember also, this is only going to apply to some people here, but you need to know that it is no, now it's possible, then it wasn't. You couldn't serve God with damaged testicles. You're just not allowed to do that. How would you ever monitor that? Sorry, I was reading it. It stood out to me, okay? We have been delivered from that stuff through the death of Jesus on the cross. It had great symbolism, but now we grow out of it. Leviticus 19 says you can't wear clothing worn of, woven of two different materials. Complete wool, complete cotton. You can stay. Anyone with a polyester blend today? Again, meet us outside afterwards. We're going to have a stoning. Why is that? Why did they make such an arbitrary, weird-sounding rule? Well, it was to embed right into their culture, right into their fashion, right into their everydayness, a lesson for Israel. You are not designed to mix and mingle with other groups. This is not about interracialness. This is about interreligiousness. Syncretism is the word that we use to describe the blending of two or more religions together. We do it sometimes because we like parts of one. Wouldn't it be cool if that was here? Let's bring that in here. We'll put that in here. And we have the idea that people would say to us, well, doesn't it just seem like it makes sense if we blend these two things, we could make something better? We'll get more truth if we pull in parts that I like from here and parts that I like from there, smush them together. But it's like taking two puzzles, opening the boxes up, dumping them on the table together, and then saying, now... We're going to have an even better puzzle. It doesn't work like that. What you will do is you'll make it significantly harder to solve either puzzle. And you'll be caught not knowing what goes where. Syncretism tries to blend. And so whenever Israel got too close to a pagan nation, instead of positively impacting that nation like they were called to, to be the light of the world, instead, that nation negatively affected them. And so God, even in their clothing, taught them, you need to stay separate so that you can be the light of the world, so that you can be my agent that I'm partnering with to bring hope, salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation to all these other people. Well, the message is totally lost when you mix up with them. But that doesn't mean that today we still can't wear blended fabrics. Because we're free from all that. Later on, Leviticus 19, it says that if you're a man, you can never get a haircut or trim your beard. Ever. So some of us are just a little less holy than the rest of you. Because I got a haircut. I'm pointing at my head. Ephesians 2. This is the, the, the big famous one. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by good works, but we are created to do good works. Not saved by works, but created for them. 
In other words, you don't need to do special things so that God will like you. He already loves you. Now that you have become a citizen of the kingdom, a member of God's own family, well then, you need to behave like you're part of the family. You need to behave like a son, like a daughter. And you need to become a demonstration of the kingdom of God, which you are now part. You are to be an an ambassador of the kingdom of God wherever you go. That means that we have some responsibilities. And you've got some chores. That's what it's like to be part of the family. While While at the same time you can experience the security, the delight, and the peace of being part of that kingdom, to fully participate in this life, you must be in. You don't earn your way in, but it's the way of celebrating what this family actually is for you to live some of these things out. Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, what is God's kindness and love appearing to us? It's the J word. Jesus, right? We're in church. Like almost all, have you guys not gone to Sunday school? Almost always the right answer is Jesus, all right? It's the way it works. Now, I understand it's hard when I say J word now because there's so many J's in our church, it's getting overwhelming for me. Jesus is God's kindness and love becoming physical. What exists as a concept and a theory up here is compressed and pushed down into a form that we can see. He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, this is a trustworthy saying. Remember this part. Come back to this again and again. Don't forget about it. Keep stressing this. And I want to stress, I don't want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And there's that juxtaposition again. Those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So have you ever said yes to Jesus? Does this stuff resonate with you at all? Is the Spirit prompting your heart today? If you need more time to go away and think about it some more, fine. Go ahead. No arm twisting. Your choice, always your choice. Have you been a Christian for a very long time? Do you forget what it was like to become a Christian? Would you consider renewing that sense of closeness with Him today? The Bible ends with the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation ends with chapter 22. The last chapter of the last book. Revelation 22, 17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Here's our partnership again, okay? The Spirit is God Himself. Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. God the Father Almighty. The Bride 
is the church. Throughout Revelation, the church is called the bride of Christ. God and God's people partner together to say to the world, the entire world, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And if you are spiritually thirsty today, I want to invite you to come and receive from the Spirit of God. Do you just have a sense that you need more of God? Are you just a little short this month? Come and drink from the water of life. That's Jesus. It's been said that religion is like selling bottled water beside the stream. Go to the source of life. So today we're going to try something a little different. We're going to end this time in corporate prayer. I'm going to read a prayer to you. And if this prayer reflects your heart and your relationship to Jesus, then we can together read it together. If it doesn't reflect your heart, that's okay. You don't have to fake anything. It's just for those who do. So here, let me tell, uh, pray it for you first. Dear God, thank you for this good news about your love for me and the life you have for me. I accept your gift of salvation and I trust in Jesus to be my Lord, my leader, my master, and my mentor. I'm sorry for the sins, for my sins, and I thank you for your forgiveness. I no longer want to run away from you or ignore you or live for any purpose other than you. Thank you for being my friend. I'm excited to be yours. And I'm looking forward to all that lies ahead. Amen. Now, if that resonates with you, then I'd like to ask you to pray with me and we'll pray together out loud. If it doesn't resonate, again, don't pray it. You don't have to fake stuff. So let's pray together if this reflects your heart. Dear God, thank you for this good news about your love for me and the life you have for me. I accept your gift of salvation and I trust in Jesus to be my Lord, my leader, my master, and my mentor. I'm sorry for my sins. I thank you for your forgiveness. I no longer want to run away from you or ignore you or live for any purpose other than you. Thank you for being my friend. I'm excited to be yours. And I'm looking forward to all that lies ahead. Amen. If you prayed that today, hey, welcome to the family. Whether it was your first time or whether you've been in church for like a hundred years, welcome to the family of God. Here's some possible next steps, just really quickly. Get signed up for Into Sunday Night. It starts tonight. It's not too late. I'll get you in. Talk to me about getting baptized. Start living like a full member of God's family, not just the visitor. If you're going to be here, then be all here. Get involved. Put your hands on something. Put your heart into something. Time, treasure, talent. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Ah, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. When we connect, the life of God becomes our life. And it's beautiful to be around. As you go, I want to send you out. Remind you that we are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused. And that we are on mission. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. 